I just put our uh, pitch document in print layout, and it's currently 13 pages. Oh. So we're going to cut like four pages? I don't know how. Maybe we should just put it in a smaller font so we feel better. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk about surge capacity. Over the last several months, most of us have depleted ours. I certainly have. So now what? How do we recharge? Then we'll head to the mailroom for some follow-ups, including great advice for the listener who asked whether she should talk to her boss about struggling with depression. Then we have a hack from friend of the pod, leadership expert, Michael Melcher. First, we have a merch update. Our Sillipint cups are going fast, which is very exciting yes. because we love them. They are 16 ounces, BPA-free, unbreakable, come with a travel lid. They're microwavable and can go in the oven in the freezer. And they're whimsical and happy, which we all need these days. So if you'd like to have one of your own before they're gone again, you can email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Yes, and they are rainbow, if anyone doesn't know that. I love a good rainbow cup. Indeed. And Sarah, we also have a question for our listeners. We're yes. thinking ahead to the holidays and gift buying, which seems early, but frighteningly, it's not. <laughs> Who knows what the holidays are going to look like this year? Hopefully, they will be joyful. And we want to know what you all think about this. We have a couple of new merch items we're considering we love our Sillipints, and the company also has a 22-ounce bomber cup. So it's just like the pint, but it's a little taller. It holds six more ounces. Yes, I have one of those. I have a bomber, and I love it. So we're thinking about getting some of those with our Happier in Hollywood logo and a motto. We could do It's a Fun Job and I Enjoy It Again, or we could use a different saying like, don't treat a gift like a burden. So that's one option. Or one of our listeners works for a company called Everwell, and she emailed us about their fantastic water bottles and coffee travel mugs and sent us some samples, which immediately displaced our other water bottles. And Adam nabbed my coffee travel cup and he uses it every single day. I never get to use it. <laughs> so those are another option. We can have our logo on those, but not a motto. And they are more expensive than the Sillipines. So we don't know exactly how much they would cost, but it could end up being um, close to $50 when you include shipping. So yes. really what we want to know is what would you all like? What would you use the most? So we're going to put up a poll on our Facebook group this week, um, and you could answer there or email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And if you feel like doing a little research, go to the Sillipite website to see the Bombers and the Everwell website. We're considering both the Woody water bottle and the early riser tumbler. So let us know what you think. 
Yes. Okay, Liz, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, it is being so at the end of our surge capacity. Yes. And Sarah, this really was inspired by an article you read. Yes, I read it on Medium and just completely connected with it. It's called Your Surge Capacity is Depleted. It's Why You Feel Awful by Tara Hale. I think it's Hale, H-A-E-L-L-E. And I posted it on our Facebook group, and apparently many people are experiencing this same thing. So we thought we should talk about it and talk about what we can do to make it better. Yes, I mean, I feel this way. Um, I really think like almost everybody in the country, if not the world, feels this way. (laughs) I totally feel this way, too. The author of the article writes about how at the beginning of the pandemic, she was stressed and exhausted, but pretty much okay because she was using her surge capacity. And then it ran out and she crashed. So we will read a couple of key paragraphs from the article. She says, in those early months, I, along with most of the rest of the country, was using, quote, surge capacity to operate as Anne Mastin, PhD, a psychologist and professor of child development at the University of Minnesota, calls it. Surge capacity is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations such as natural disasters. The natural disasters occur over a short period, even if recovery is long. Pandemics are different. The disaster itself stretches out indefinitely. The pandemic has demonstrated both what we can do with surge capacity and the limits of surge capacity, says Mastin. When it's depleted, it has to be renewed. But what happens when you struggle to renew it because the emergency phase has now become chronic? Right, which is, of course, where we are now. Now we are in a chronic emergency. We've been in this pandemic for over five months. We've depleted all of our reserve energy, our surge capacity, and all the coping skills we were using for the first several months of this, and now we feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And we, as Kim from our Facebook group said, I thought this was an interesting comparison. She said, it lines up with the season of sacrifice. We can do it because it's a season, not an indefinite period. Yes. And Nicole in our Facebook group agreed. She said, that might be the hardest part. I was good for a season, but this is starting to comprise a big enough chunk of time that I just can't muddle through anymore. It was interesting because several of the people in our Facebook group said they cried reading the article, which I completely understand. Mm. And a lot of people said they felt an enormous sense of relief that they weren't alone in what they were feeling, which is what I felt reading it. I was just like, oh, my God. Mm. Rebecca said, it's so helpful to know that I'm not alone. I'm doing so much worse than I was last spring when all of this started. I've been getting so frustrated with myself lately. I feel like a mediocre mom, a mediocre employee, and just mediocre in general. And I was like, that's mm. that's me right there. I literally feel like some days it's like everything that comes up is just one more opportunity for me to not do something well enough, which is just no fun. Um, another Sarah, not you, wrote, I was thinking this week that on a scale from 1 to 10 regarding stress, I'm at an 11 and have been for months and will be for more months. And that's never happened to me before, even during the worst year of my personal life. So, yeah, I think we all are waiting for it to get better. And then it's sort of like it's getting worse because it's gone on for so long. 
That's both in terms of dealing with kids at home, in terms of work uncertainty, in terms of just not being able to enjoy so your social life. I mean, on all fronts, we're just getting worn down. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is not knowing when it will end. Yes. You know, if you know when something's going to end, you can kind of, and that goes to the season of sacrifice and how this is different, but you can kind of measure out your energy to make it through, or you can remind yourself like, okay, this will be over as we do. This will be over by lunch. This will be over yes. by Christmas. This will be over by whatever. And that helps. And this is like, I mean, we don't know. We just don't know. So our surge capacity is depleted. We feel awful. What can we do about it? Yeah, the article has some great suggestions, some of which we've talked about before, but we'll we'll go over them quickly. Like, Accept that life is different right now and not in a good way, which Sarah reminds me of our friend Amanda's brilliant insight that we talked mm -hmm. about last episode, that we don't have to get good at this. This is not normal and we don't <laughs> want it to become normal, but it is a good idea just to accept that this is where we are. Yes. And then another suggestion is to expect less from yourself, which we talked about with Audrey Monkey in our March 23rd bonus episode. And I've been trying to embrace that. Mm -hmm. And then another is focus on maintaining and strengthening important relationships, which I feel like we kind of talk about all the time. And you are very good at. I'm working on it. I don't know, though. I have to say, when you don't spend time with people, it's hard. Zoom is just not the same. No, it's really not. Well, and this, the pressure to like do all of these Zooms with people and set them up just makes me feel like I'm failing at something else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then there's some um, things mentioned in the article we want to expand on. Recognize the different aspects of grief. Um, this is really interesting. Over 180,000 people have died. So there's grief for so many families and friends and loved ones right now. But even for those of us who are lucky enough not to have lost anyone, there is real grief, all the stages of it. Yeah. And just being aware that grief is what we're feeling is helpful. Yes, that was really eye-opening for me to just go, okay, right now we are all on some level grieving. And the other thing that kind of helped me in this one is remembering that one stage of grief is denial, mm. which helps me be a little less angry at the people who act like <laughs> this whole pandemic thing just isn't happening. You know, like mm -hmm. the Sturgis bikers who are now spreading COVID <laughs> all over the country. I just, if I say, you know what, some level of them is grieving and in denial, mm. that helps me be, have slightly less rage. <laughs> Good. And that depletes you less because yes. anger is very depleting. Yes. Another suggestion is to experiment with both and thinking. Okay, which mm. is basically that this is both awful and there are good things. Like you get to be in Minnesota for a long time for like the first time in your whole life. Yes, and Violet gets to have all this bonding time with her Grammy. So it can be both awful and good. And everyone has yes. these things. There are both ands that are small and huge. Do you have any both ands, Liz? Um, well, yeah, it's both awful um, to be stuck at home all the time. And I feel like it's been good for me to not be like so intense about being places on time because we're not going places. 
And it's definitely that has lessened my conflict with Adam because we're always fighting about being on time. And it's made me realize like, wow, I really do put on a lot of pressure. So let me, as life goes back to normal, not do that. Oh, that's a big one. Because this has yeah. been a thing for you, your whole marriage. Yes, it has. <laughs> um, and I'm sure it will continue to be. But right. I do feel that I've learned and improved. And um, that's been great. Also, look for activities new and old that continue to fulfill you. Yes, which I both think is a good idea and also worry that it puts on pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, like some days I feel like... Okay, I acknowledge that it would be nice for me to have a new activity or do an old activity that I love, like spinning, but I don't want to feel like if I'm not doing that, I'm sort of not doing the pandemic right. (laughs) Yes, you don't want to feel like you have to have game night every single night. Yes, exactly. One thing we've both done, which has helped me, is played Mahjong online, which we never did before the pandemic. And it has really improved my Mahjong game. So oh, I can't too. wait to play with actual people in person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my game has improved. Yes. Okay, so Sarah, the next step is for us to, albeit slowly, rebuild our resilience bank account. Yes. And the elements of that are sleep and nutrition and exercise and meditation and self-compassion and gratitude and connection and saying no. And doing all of those just seems like way too much. But Mm -hmm. if if we could just pick one or two and do, Mm -hmm. you know, alternate, maybe one day sleep, another day meditate. I'm good at saying no at this point. I feel like I've got that nailed. And for me, just like being in nature is really important. Like Mm. I realize that now that I'm in Minnesota and there's trees and wind and rain, that's huge for me and rebuilding my surge capacity. So do you think being in Minnesota, I know it's stressful in some ways because of the time difference, which affects when Violet's in school and that's tough. But do you feel like being there is ultimately going to be a nurturing, you know, thing that that does help you build back up? Yes. Overall, I definitely do. Yeah. And we'll figure out the time zone thing. It's only been a few days of school. We'll get there. What about you, Liz? How are you refilling your surge capacity bank account? Oh, goodness, Sarah. I don't even know. You know, I'm not good at these things. I did start making avocado toast, which oddly has made me feel better. (laughs) Because I love avocado toast and the fact that I can myself produce it makes me um, very happy. Also, Adam set up my treadmill desk in the office. So that's huge. I feel like that's going to go a long way toward getting me back. And I am trying to sleep more and drink Mm. a lot less alcohol, which I think overall is a good idea. Nice. And also, um, I wanted to add Judy on our Facebook group. She had a really good way to do this. She said, my new rule during a pandemic, I am allowed to watch as much TV as I want, read whatever I want and play music and dance as loud as I want. (laughs) So we would love to know what you're all doing to recharge your surge capacity. Send us an email or a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And we will put a link to the article in our show notes. Yes. 
Next up, we have some listener question follow-ups, but first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, now let's follow up on some recent mailroom questions. In our recent summer listener questions episode, 170, we read a question about how to handle a tough situation at a new job. Here it is. I have a problem relating to my new job in a publishing house, which I started about a month into lockdown. I still haven't met my coworkers or been to the office as we've all been working remotely. I'm not sure if it's these circumstances without the creative spark of collaborating in person or if it's due to the general sad state of the world, but I have been feeling really flat and down. Concentrating has been hard and I haven't been at all productive in my new role. I've suffered from depression in the past, and this feels very similar. The company hired me because I'm known for moving quickly and having high energy, but since I began, it feels as if I'm knee-deep in molasses, and I've hardly made any meaningful progress in two and a half months. I might be projecting, but I feel as if the company is disappointed with my performance so far. My question is this. Do I talk to my new boss about my mental health issues? She is a fair-minded and sympathetic person, and I believe that we should be more transparent and open about issues of depression and anxiety. So why do I feel cautious about raising this? What would you do? So Sarah, you and I um, shared our advice, but it is such a complicated question. We asked our listeners to share their advice, which thank you, everyone. We got some great responses. Here's Rebecca's advice. She says, first, state the struggle clearly with no drama and mention that you've dealt with issues like this before. Normalize your experience in two ways. Here's my example script. Boss, I'm struggling as so many people are with COVID-19 isolation. It's difficult for me that I haven't been able to bond with my coworkers, and I think that is impacting my work. I've dealt with a bit of depression previously, and the challenge this time is that I'm not feeling part of the team yet. Then make a clear ask. By asking for something clearly from your boss, you demonstrate that you can identify a problem and that you also have ideas for a solution. She also says, as a sample script, one of the things I'm missing is the water cooler experience of getting to know my coworkers. Would it be possible to arrange some team building like a Zoom scavenger hunt, which I'm happy to help create, or some other mixer that allows us to build relationships? 
Additionally, would you be willing to help me brainstorm a task list to help me gain some momentum? I'm typically fast at getting things done, and I think this bit of depression is causing me to get lost in the forest rather than being able to see each tree I can climb. I believe that just a bit of a jumpstart session with you or the appropriate person will help me find my missing mojo. And Rebecca says, I believe it is important to normalize depression. At the same time, you can show your ability to be self-motivated by asking clearly for what you need. If your boss doesn't care for your ideas, at least you've given her a place to start. Having a reputation for getting things done quickly doesn't have to exclude asking for help. And then Rebecca says, which I found very interesting, I have several clients who have been struggling with the isolation, and I think we all can relate. So I find that reassuring, Sarah, that, you know, Rebecca has clients dealing with the same thing. I think so many people are dealing with this. Absolutely. And I thought that all of her advice was really excellent. And then Jeannie also had some advice. She said, I have a different perspective. Firstly, I would not share any private health information with a boss without first getting medical help, whether that's a Zoom visit with one's internist or a call with a therapist. Treatment can take time to work, but a therapist can help the young woman brainstorm how to approach her boss. Secondly, because she's depressed, she may be catastrophizing her situation. She may not be performing quite as badly as she thinks she is. If her boss has not broached it, I'd think it through carefully before speaking up in the short term. If she can start to feel even a little better before she speaks up, she'll advocate for herself more effectively and not just speak from a place of shame. I have personally found that just the act of reaching out to get help for depression can bring a little bit of a lift in mood. Try to combine that with some good nutrition, some walks in the sunshine, the best sleep you can manage, and see if that doesn't help, along with some good medical care. Hang in there. It will get better. Yeah, one thing really interesting there, Sarah, is the catastrophizing. I mean, it may be that the boss hasn't noticed anything wrong with what this person has done. Absolutely. Yes, we all tend to feel like we're doing worse than we are. So if she can kind of reach out, get some help, do some of these things that Jeannie is suggesting, which are great ideas for all of us, mm-hmm. she may not feel that she's doing such a bad job. Yeah, so good luck to um, the person who asked that question and do let us know how it goes. I would, I would love to get an update. Yes, please. And then Sarah, in episode 170, we also had a question from Rachel who wanted to know how hard it is to break into TV writing at 43. Our answer was essentially that it's hard, but certainly not impossible. And Danielle had a related follow-up question. She says, hi, Liz and Sarah, I have a follow-up question for the person who asked about breaking into the business at 43. Well, I'm not 43. This resonated with me because I'm a mom to soon to be three kiddos and most entry-level positions wouldn't cover the cost of childcare. Forget regular expenses on top of that. You mentioned getting your name out there. What programs or festivals would catch your eye if they were listed on a resume? Are there any you'd recommend? I have been diligently writing spec scripts, but I haven't sent them anywhere yet. I'm also an actor and have a background in indie production, so I know I could potentially produce some of this work, but the lift is so huge, and with three kids under the age of four in a one-bedroom in Harlem, I'll add, maybe borderline insane. That said, would you be more likely to watch a trailer slash teaser or episode before you'd read a script? In your experience, which has opened more doors? 
Okay. Well, first of all, uh, cheers to Danielle for handling three kids in a one-bedroom apartment during a pandemic. I mean, her <laughs> surge capacity must be huge. like in the <laughs> negative. But to answer the questions, I mean, I think, Sarah, both of us would say a script, if you want to be a writer, is way more valuable than a trailer. Yes, it's funny because I may be more likely to watch a trailer, but then I think I would just be watching it to see your skills as an actor. Like the writing would have to be so insanely brilliant. Yeah. For it to make an impression that, I, yeah, ultimately I land on script. Yes. I. It's just if you want to be a writer, you need scripts. Yeah. Sarah, I asked our Facebook group about the festival program contest question because a lot of people in the group are doing all of that and very aware of sort of, you know, the best things right now. Mm -hmm. um, and Pepper, who we've had on the show, suggested the Nickel Fellowship. She said definitely the TV fellowships from NBC, CBS, WB, and Disney are high on the list. Now, this person's in New York, so that might not work. Sundance's many programs, HBO's program, especially since it is only every other year. She said, imagine impact is one people want to win because you get paid and it can open a lot of doors. And then also for comedy, Nickelodeon. And then Laura added that as far as festivals go, the big ones for writers are Sundance, Tribeca, and the Austin Film Festival. So good luck. Congratulations on yes. the new baby. Good luck. And finally, a few weeks ago, we asked you to let us know when and where you're listening to podcasts now that so many of our commutes have gone away. And we loved, I especially loved, this response from Claire. She said, I live on 11 acres in New Zealand, and I'm a big fan of your show. A few episodes back, you questioned when people are listening to podcasts now. I listen to podcasts while doing household chores, and my kids are listening to audiobooks. This morning is a cold and frosty day here in Wellington, and I have Happier in Hollywood playing via my phone in my pocket while I do my morning check on my pregnant ewes. I know Sarah loves the idea of being a sheep farmer, so I thought you would appreciate this photo of my heavily pregnant ewes enjoying their morning treat while they listen to the two of you speak. Oh, my God. And she sent a great picture. That um, is amazing. So great. And the picture is gorgeous. We're going to post the picture in our show notes. Yes. Yeah, so thank you, Claire, for that. Pick me up from New Zealand. <laughs> Coming up, we have a Zoom Hollywood hack. But first, this break. Okay, Sarah, it's time for this week's Hollywood Hack. It comes from our good friend, Michael Melcher, who talked about Enneagrams with us on episode 64. Michael says, when you do Zoom or other video calls, when it's time to hang up, force yourself to maintain a strong smile. The reason is that your face is frozen in whatever expression you have when you end the call, especially if you are the host. The last thing we do is search for the end meeting button, and it's really easy to end up with a confused, nearsighted old person's grimace. I did this many a time before I figured it out. Now I shine my pearly whites and leave a better final image. Okay, Sarah, the second I read this email from Michael, I started doing it. Like that day, we had a Zoom, and at the end, I was like smiling. Yes. Um, so now I always <laughs> plaster on a big smile at the end of the meeting, and I just leave it there until my screen is, you know, completely blank. Me too. I do the wave and the big smile. 
And because I really want to avoid, I totally know what he means by that, like, confused look. Just smile big. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) It's so awful. We also want to mention Michael's excellent new podcast, Career Stewardship with Michael Melcher, which is a podcast for managing your career, whether you're making the most of what you have or looking for something new. And Sarah, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that my sister Gretchen uh, was a guest recently on episode eight, if you want to hear Gretchen um, talking to Michael. Nice. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happy in Hollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to Michael Melcher for the excellent hack. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at SFain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. So, Sarah, what was this crawdad that escaped in your house last (laughs) night? I saw a video you posted. Oh, my God. I came downstairs after putting Violet in bed, and the bowl that the crawdad had been in was was empty. And I said, like, what? what, uh, Did somebody move the crawdad? Did the crawdad die? And Anna was like, well, I literally just saw it, like, five minutes ago. So then (laughs) me and Anna and my Aunt Jean terrified we were going to step on a crawdad at any second searching the entire house for this crawdad the dogs i expected the dogs to kind of like sniff it out no no i had to find it on the other side of the house like it went far and i screamed wow fully screamed when i found it It was and then what did you do with it well, Anna picked it up. <laughs> Aunt and I were both like, we're not touching it. <laughs> Anna was like, you're ridiculous. <laughs> she picked it up and put it back in the bowl. Oh, my God. That's funny. It lives today. From the Onward Project. <laughs>